Yes, please continue. No, no, it's great. I, I love that. Hello, hello. Um, I'm Raz Shuti. I'm Noa Tamir. And we have a guest today. Hi, uh, I'm Charity Majors. And this is Tech Point Charlie. Yeah, some intro music. <laughs> <laughs> um, hello, Charity. So this is actually, honestly, for me, a huge pleasure because, first of all, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan. And also, I've been sharing your videos a lot, uh, no. mostly because uh, on-call engineering has been maybe the biggest topic I had since I joined my, my new job. On-call basically is the reason Honeycomb exists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So before, because I know you, at least know you from uh, your internet persona, uh, maybe you can introduce yourself uh, to our listeners, who you are, why is on-call so important to you, and maybe why we're having you. My name is Charity. I am co-founder, CTO, former CEO of Honeycomb, which is a four, almost four and a half year old company now. Before that, I've, I worked at Facebook, Parse. I was at Linden Lab for a few years working on Second Life. Um, I've been on call since I was 17 years old as an ops engineer. So over half my life, I have very strong opinions and feelings about this. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so um, kind of let's touch on what is on-call even. I mean, I think some people don't might not even know what it is. On-call to me is part of the absolutely critical feedback loop that comes from building and maintaining something that people care about. You know, I feel like writing greenfield code is the easiest part. <laughs> you know, anybody can write code. You know, junior engineers can write shit, blob it out over the wall. You know, it <laughs> takes real engineers to actually maintain and sustain and improve and iterate and support and develop, you know, a, pr a platform or a product for the long haul. And on call is, you know, it's that critical, it's, it's that, it, it closes that loop, right? That critical loop of you, you built something, something was wrong, people are hurt, and so you know about it. Like in the beginning, there was this virtuous feedback loop, right? There was an engineer, you're editing the code right on the file system live, right? As users were using it, and they would yell at you if something broke, right? And then, you know, we started to grow up as an industry, we've got change control, we've got, you know, all these processes around deployment, and we started to specialize, people who specialized in running the code, because there was so much deep systems knowledge that you needed just to, like, debug it. Um, and we we severed that feedback loop, right? We, we we made it so that people who were writing the code were just blissfully going on about their business, and the other part of the feedback loop, the the back end, was coming around and smacking someone else. You know, it's like, and and it's taken the entire DevOps movement is now like a 12, 10, 15 year effort to try and hook that feedback loop up again. Absolutely right. Funny enough, I'm, I mean, as a person who's a bit also been been around for several years as developer, I, when I started, I can honestly say that the monolith days were terrible for development, but were actually quite amazing for fixing problems on production and having this close loop to production because you could follow what's going on relatively easily. It was a straight line, right? Like things happened and you can follow it or by just reading code or just like looking at logs or putting a debug and just literally stopping things and seeing what's going on. And I think attach that's a debugger what... to the process and just watch exactly. it run, exactly. run S trades or whatever. Yeah, it was it was tight and it was elegant, but it doesn't scale. 
Yeah, exactly. And I feel like, you know, a, a lot of like, you know, it was like five years ago that I started, you know, saying on Twitter all the time, developers should be on call for their code. And I got some of the most flaming hate mail like that I've ever gotten. Just people who are like, how can you say that? I'll never get any work done. How can you expect me to suffer like this? And I'm like, I don't want to be your ops team. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> That's terrible. You know, and I feel like like what what we figured out, you know, we figured out how to like message this and everything. And, and 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 really, like this is a two-way street, right? That like the goal is not to make devs as miserable as ops people are. <laughs> the goal is <laughs> to like lift everyone out of that swamp of despair. Because the fact is that like uh, ops people, you know, it, who aren't empowered to fix the code, why are they getting you know this part this this signal? You know, they're helpless. They're fr no wonder ops has this well reputation for masochism, sure, but also reputation for just like being like no i hate you stay out you're not going to touch prod like developers get the get out you know because you understand it because they they were just like given this shitty job of just like receiving yes. all of the all of the outputs of this grossness you know and our systems have been this just this nasty gnarly hairballs of like shit you know just a hairball of stuff that nobody ever under literally nobody ever understood it they're just like well passed my unit test good enough for me you know and so they shipped <laughs> it and then they just kept shipping more shit that they didn't understand to that hairball that they didn't understand that nobody had ever understood meanwhile ops is just like adding threshold to try and go like well if it looks like this then it's bad so page someone but nobody is like reasoning about what's going on inside or really getting any visibility and it's just that what i hate is that like we as an industry have just started to believe well that's how it is when you're dealing with software that does not have to be that way that is some serious learned helplessness bullshit but we have to like raise our expectations for ourselves we have to say i don't accept that i don't it doesn't have to be that way we deserve a better world we deserve a paging routine that's sustainable and compatible with our lives as human beings yeah i think i've i feel really spoiled as you as you said because i think um i'm a data scientist and throughout uh all the engineering teams that i've worked with they're always like an embedded release engineer in the team and they have always been on call for their code i can't imagine it and and we as well and supporting trying to assess impact as they're trying to solve problems yeah. but uh, having moved um in more recent years to more the um data scientists building their own endpoints for for their own models and becoming more engineers now i'm facing this as well with data scientists who are like I mean, I wanted to to ship my product, but I I don't know how to do this. And I mean, there's there really are gaps of knowledge, and I understand yeah. it's a lot of stuff to learn. Huge. But uh, but that attitude is really what you're you're saying is really just a pinpoint of like it's about whether or not you care about how you work well with others and how your code work yeah. well with others. Yeah. Do you take personal pride in your in your own craft or not? I totally agree, and it's yeah. it's really a mentality thing. It is. And it's so much harder to dig yourself out of one of these holes than just to not get into it. Yeah. You know, like, like I feel for some of these people who work on these systems, they're very important systems, you know, and God bless them if they're willing to do this work. I just, and I'm not saying, I mean, that is work worth doing if you're working for a management team, an executive team structure, who values it, who's going to promote on it, who's going to, you know, yeah. level based on it, who's going to, you know, take the time 
out of the product roadmap to fix the things before it just becomes this hairball because it's all fixable in the beginning when everybody has, you know, it freshly paged in their heads. You know, this is when we need to be catching bugs. You need to be watching it as it's rolling out, looking at it through the eyes of your instrumentation, looking at it and saying, is it doing what I thought it would? And does anything else look weird, right? Because you will catch the vast majority of your problems right there. and, and, And it gets you out of out of that state where it's like, well, this shit was written months ago or years ago, or the person isn't even here anymore. So you're now going back and trying to figure out what that original intent was, which is actually impossible, you know? And like, it's so much easier if you just build the culture of like catching it early, catching it fast, catching it by the person who's writing it and like, don't get into that state. And if your management chain doesn't value it and doesn't, you know, carve out the time for the work and doesn't, then leave that job. Yeah, <laughs> they don't yeah. deserve. You. And for me, I think uh, I I guess I, I could see the history of that in the companies I w- I was at because if you would I I couldn't sometimes work with historical data because there would be potholes that no one could explain why right. some right. issues are weird. Don't and, touch and, that entire part of the system. Yeah. Just don't even yes. touch it. Uh, but but I would know. see it in the data and I would be like, why is this? We, what is this period weird? <laughs> there we're like, we don't know. We didn't even document it. But something <laughs> happened that year, I think. So just don't use it. <laughs> Cue like spooky music. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, we can maybe we should kind of touch also what, why we even have on call. I think we kind of glossed a bit over it. Um, I think it's also kind of important to to ask it, like um, because we're saying, hey, I agree with you, Charity. Developers, product developers, should definitely definitely do on call. Why do we even have on call? Because of users. I mean, if your users like work from nine to five and don't try and use your product at night, cool. You can too. You know, but like most of us now work on sites that are 24-7, you know, they're international, they're 24-7. And that means like we have a commitment to our users to be available. Now, I don't know how you all feel about SLAs. SLAs are the next big, you know, stepping stone, I think, in in terms of, you know, we've pushed this paradigm as far as we can take it. You know, the monitoring paradigm, the whole, like, the set of, like, best practices that are, like, you know, um, uh, every alert should be actionable and, you know, writing run books and playbooks and documentation. I firmly believe that, like, kind of reached a wall. Um, and like the next big stepping stone is SLAs, service level objectives, service level indicators. Um, and like we've seen people consistently get to delete 90% of their paging alerts when they ship to an mm-hmm. SLA based approach. And that just means accepting you page when your users are impacted. You don't try and predict in advance when, I mean, yes, just running a lot of, you know, if a disk is filling up, like you're, you take care of that, but that's like infrastructure. But like in terms, you don't try and like get it right before the users are impacted. You wake someone up only if your users are actually impacted and you only alert on that. Like you have a budget. Right. You have this budget for how how much your users can be hurt within this period of time. And and what's so awesome is once you have that, then you get out of this mode of you get out of the reactive mode of just like, oh, something went down last night. So we we're all hands on deck this morning. We're fixing this thing, you know, like you get out of that hole. And instead, you're like you're looking at the trajectory. and You're like, are we going to run out of budget before the end of the month? How quickly how steep is that line? Right. Or are we fine? Because if we're fine, then we can spend all of our time on product stuff, right? If if we're nowhere near running out of our budget, then maybe we should take more risks. Maybe it's time to schedule some like crazy ass test that we or some like you know region failover or something that we. It lets you integrate so much more of the quality and reliability work into your normal like 
planning flow and cycle instead of it always being a surprise, always being an interruption, and always being bad news. Actually, maybe kind of to the next segment of our experience, that's the one of the first things I did when I joined my current team is I started questioning all the alarms because mm -hmm. all of our alarms seem to be very... It's a, we're assuming that if this continues as it does, then something will break. And most of the times when I joined the rotation, uh, as an elderly manager myself as well, I realized that most of the time I woke up, I, it took me my five to 10 minutes to kind of get my stuff prepared, connect to my VPN, go to AWS, that's what we're using, and then realize that it's already fixed. Nothing really happened. So it yeah. took me 10 minutes to basically oh, set man. myself up to look at something and see, oh, it's no longer a problem. That burns people out so fast. Insanely Getting fast. woken up in the middle of the night, something that flaps or isn't real. Oh, God. And I would also think, I think one thing that I've seen regarding SLAs, which I found really interesting, is that uh, we've had them for also internally for different teams. And there's a really important conversations to be had there about how are we jointly committed to each other's SLAs or separately? Because I've seen teams who are like, my SLAs yeah. are fine. You can't call that's me. Uh, and I think point. that's a really important thing to, to have that conversation of uh, are we if, some, if one team's SLA is in danger, does that activate your team or not? Mm -hmm. and, and I think... It's not always, maybe, but you kind of need to figure it out. That's a conversation that really needs to happen. For sure. Yeah, I think that a lot of the, uh, the reason that teams just start paging themselves, like these pager bombs, just like crazy crap all over the place, you know, usually comes back to the fact that they don't trust their tool. They don't trust their ability to debug their systems. And they literally rely on patterns of paging alerts, just like, well, this, these 25, when they all go off at once, it usually means it's that database, right? Or, or, or they're using these as clues instead of like actual debugging, where it's, where it's more systematic, where it's like you start at the edge, you slice and dice, and you find the result every time. And that is something that I think as, a, as an industry, we haven't really fully internalized what an anti-pattern that is. Like, it's terrible to be paging yourself about like, 50 different things like that. It's terrible if you don't trust your ability to debug your system and figure out whatever's going wrong. Because if you're if you're debugging in the big bang way, um, it, it also means that you're probably, you, you're like, oh, something's wrong. You try and build a mental model in your head of what it is, or you page through like your catalog of past outages and pattern match. Ah, it feels like it was that, right? This is the last time I saw that. And you jump to the answer and then you go looking for, to through your graphs to validate that this is the right answer which is completely backwards, right? Because it might be that this is a symptom of the actual problem. It might be that this and four other things are also wrong, right? Like, like when you start by, by like guessing that you know the answer, you're pretty much doomed to almost never get it right. But then I have a, a really interesting follow-up question for you on that. So since you're also a CTO, um, how, how do you feel about at what level, to what level the alerts need to go? I worked at a company where the CTO got every alert that every team got. And I think there were two opinions about That's one thing insane. he over, I think he, I mean, some people felt like he uh, over activated, got, and it, it freaked out uh, high management because of that. Because if he was seeing an alert, everybody was like in the, in whatever meeting he was at like what's happening and other teams are really appreciative that they had someone who understands all the connections between the teams like available to them as soon as they are concerned about something and I, I thought that was a really interesting tension and I'm, it's not clear to me what's the right answer oh it's clear to me that that's the wrong answer <laughs> so I'm being a little you know yes um 
it's great that they could see that he had empathy for them, mm-hmm. um, but it's terrible that it took that, right? Like, because he's not going to be able to do anything about that volume of alerts. And and when you're when you're getting all the alerts, you really you start to tune them out. You're not you're not actually thinking about them. You're they become like noise, right? Like this is what we've learned from all of this like human HCI research and stuff. It's like you're it just becomes background like it's great that they felt that he was empathizing with them but he wasn't actually experiencing it in the same way that they were like i trust my teams absolutely like they handle them it's my job to make sure that it's rare right and so i do pay attention to like the graph of like how often do they get paged outside of hours and if it happens honestly like for me the threshold is about four times a year if somebody's getting woken up like outside of you know business hours like four times a year it's too high um, I want it to be actually very rare. I don't want people to have to plan their lives around it, yeah. right? I don't want people to have to, you know, and and so like, I feel like absolute like commitment to that. And I will also do pinch hitting. Like, um, like I, when I was a manager, like I, I, I took myself out of the rotation so that I could be the first backup pinch hitter. Like anytime someone got paged late at night, I would take it the next night. Anytime somebody needed to you know, go watch a movie on the weekend, you know, super low bar for it. Just like I would take it. So I was in there regularly. So I did feel and see like there is something to be said for on a visceral level. Do you feel my pain? Absolutely. And I think that like, especially for line managers, it is important to keep that feel. Um, but I don't think that, I think that's just like masochism. <laughs> so I think he was doing that as well. Uh, but then how do, do then teams need to alert you when they get gonna, like, how does it work? At what point no, do they, no, at what at point do you know? Because how do you know that there, it's two nights in a row? How do you know that the thing? Well, is- I have a graph. Like I can see. And I have a trigger that'll let me know if it's happening too often. This is one of those things where it's like, is is this a pain point? Is this a thing that is an area of focus? It's not. So I don't have triggers on it. If it was, if we were in a scaling, you know, I could, and sometimes I have. Um, but like, I, I feel like my team feels trusted. Like they feel like I don't have to be in there watching over their shoulder and like nitpicking and like everything, you know? And that to me is is more important. Like you do have to trust your teams and they want to feel like you trust them you know and that was a big step for me because because i i built the infrastructure i was on call for everything in the beginning you know and for like for me and this could be different you know for different people different kinds for me it was a bigger act of trust and like honor to my team that i took myself out and stepped away and was just Mm -hmm. like i trust you with this yeah totally and i can say from my side because when I joined Delivery Hero, we had a bit more problems. I wish to go, to get to a point where we have four four um, alerts uh, off working hours a year. Um, but we had, I would say we had about four alarms a night. Um, wow. And I decided just act- actively, yeah, I mean, and we were losing people because people were demotivated yeah. or people, of, of course, course. Ma- makes perfect yeah. sense. It's, it's, a, it's a burnout job. situation. You can't have a kid <laughs> and a job like that, of course. period. I mean, that's, you can't that's have a normal life. an ambulance driver. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, it's uh, you can't have a normal life. You want to go out jogging, but you can't because yeah. you're on rotation yeah, that's, once that's a, a week, right? Like at least once a month, you have a week that yeah. you're on rotation, which is yeah. kind of gets you out of any like, rhythm. S- you're, you're connected to your chair like with a yep. tether that's yeah. not okay exactly and we had people who were like feeling stressed out by the coming mm-hmm. um like their turn mm-hmm. and i think what what worked relatively well is just 
I try to rapidly onboard myself during work hours, meaning we still had alarms during work hours where it's technically not on call, the entire team is on call, but I said, I will take it on myself. And if I need something, I'll ping you and then we explore it together. And I wrote myself all the notes, but what worked really nicely is creating an on-call daily. Meaning every morning, the on-call engineer shared all the alarms that happened, and then we discussed the relevance of the alarm. Yep. The, should, was it a real problem or not? Was it just a ghost? Should we remove it? Or do we have a runbook to fix it? And is there anything that we can now influence our roadmap? That's a great our... emergency like m- mode of, of running in, just to like get it down as quickly as possible. When I first took myself out of the rotation, um, I, I felt a lot of angst about this. And I, I stayed in the rotation for a long time because I wanted to prove that I felt the pain and everything, all that stuff. And I eventually realized that it was harder on my team and it was creating more work for them to have me in you know, for a week because I would be in the middle of meetings and I'd have to ask somebody to like, oh, I'm sorry. So they'd be doing project work and I'd be in a super important, and I have to ask someone to like step in for me, which was shitty. And I, if I got woken up in the middle of the night and I was coming in the next day for my one-on-ones or reviews or something, I was not giving them my best self, you know? And like, and like I would get too interrupted to actually do the kind of cleanup and follow-up work. Like I couldn't focus on like doing heads down work. And I, and I, realized that it was harder on my team for me to keep pretending that I could like pull my weight. I couldn't, it was better for me to like take myself out and then just pinch it. But it is different for every team. And this is what's fun about teams and and engineering management and leadership is that every team is different. You cannot cargo cult what worked for one team, one leader, one team, one time, one place, one situation. You, You have to take each one from scratch as they are and devise, you know, something that is tailored for them using your knowledge of best practices, their ideas, whatever it was that was there when you stepped in and just like making things better. And, and the actual problems that they're experiencing the because mm-hmm. those alarms could differ as well, right? Like the cargo yeah. cult of the alarms, meaning one could be just over over alarming and the other one could be scalability issues like sustainability sometimes you've got a culture of people who are over paging themselves because they yeah. feel so much you know dedication and everything you have to like slowly train them out of it train them that quiet is good sometimes you have a culture of you know silencing them and snoozing them and not giving a fuck or like you know just like sleeping through them or not taking it seriously like every culture is different exactly yeah, yeah exactly. I think one other experience I can share that, again, it's more of an external, but I found it really inspiring for, for scaling uh, this. Um, but I mean, I have to try it for myself to feel to see what it feels like to be a part of it, of course, um, was that at King, we had kind of an, an, a global on-call team. It was a really big company. There were lots of uh, engineering teams across and some were shared functionalities that are centralized and some are dependent on it. And really, when you were on-call, sometimes it, it wasn't always uh, obvious. We didn't have full observability back then it wasn't always obvious where where the issue is um and not only that this uncle support team what they did is they participated in all of the company wide uh, on calls and they were in charge of uh, handling that communication between teams and to senior management on how are things progressing and what are the issues what are the concerns um what is the business impact and so they had a lot of learnings around communication um, both with the teams themselves and to help the teams like not worry about how they talk when they're solving something that I found really, really interesting to separate the doing from the informing others what's going on. And also having someone who's been through a lot of it, who can kind of be like, dude, you're freaking out. 
you're you're doing fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Uh, this happens. This happens to other teams. And yeah. if you're new, if it's your first time, um, or or you just have not had something at that scale before with that yeah. level of visibility, I thought that was really really cool. You have another question on here, which was which I really loved, which is, can it be can it be a positive? Can it actually be a good thing? And I really solemnly believe that it can be something that people actually look forward to, you know, like on call, like if, if you're not getting, you know, paid in the middle of the night, if you can, you know, be pretty confident that that's going to be a real rarity and your life isn't really impacted, then what does it mean? Well, it should, I believe it should be a week where you don't have to, like your normal project product work, you are not expected to touch it right? It's your week off. It's your week to look around and fix the shit that's just been bugging you or work on internal tools, you know, improve the deploy system, maybe add some canarying, you know, maybe like fix a couple of, you know, tasks that, you know, some stuff that's been escalated to you maybe, but like you should have agency in how you spend this week. You should have a pretty, a lot of leeway and, and the things that like maybe you can't justify like doing a product initiative for but if you can bang it out in a week like that's your week right like I <laughs> I really believe that this can be something that um, it's almost like a hack week you know you've got some extra responsibilities but other than that I think the key is you're not responsible for product and and the and the people who plan plan this in right they bake this into it you're on call weeks they don't count I've actually never tried that that sounds awesome I should probably push for that soon because I totally agree with you. I've been saying that to everyone or in where I work that it can actually be a positive experience. I yeah. think this feeling of being needed or like breaking the process and fixing something in the middle of the night without caring about the team process. I mean, I don't need a review here because everything is breaking down. I can push to master. It goes to production now. Oh, everything is green. I go to sleep. It's also kind of nice. It's kind People of emergency. fundamentally want to be needed. They yeah, like exactly. to be needed. They like, and if you could make on-call almost more of a prestige thing, you know, instead of just like, pushing it off on all the people who are too junior to get out of it, you know, like make it so you're, when you're too senior, then you're too good to be on call. No, you make this a mark of prestige. You know our systems well enough that you can be the person responsible for them 24 seven for a week. Like you can be the person of last resort, right? Intercom actually makes on call 100% voluntary. I like the idea of some sort of bonus pay. Yep. One team at a couple of places now, I've done, um, you get the next Friday off. Like we couldn't afford the cash. You'd be on call for a week. And then the next week, that Friday was off. Like no questions asked. You plan on it. Everyone expects yeah. you to not be, it could be any day of the week, but like Friday by default. So you get a three-day weekend. It's a really nice perk that really, I really do think you need to sweeten it a little to just bring out the joy of the responsibility rather than the, the, the just the, the burden. But and I also think for 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 some, and maybe it's not for everybody, for some engineers who who are who are less fond of the P process word or less fond of the meeting uh, days, yeah. I feel it really gives you kind of a way. Like next week when you go back into your rhythm, you appreciate it much more. And I you think really getting do. this step out, it's kind of a like way a so you don't feel like your work is just like you know this endless track of the same rhythm all the time. Yeah. And I yeah. think that is yes. really something that behaviorally we don't sometimes don't know that we need, but it's we so. Really so useful. Think of yeah. how much everyone loves Christmas week or Thanksgiving exactly. week, even when yeah. you're home and you're working, but it's just, it's a break from the usual and it's really nice. A bit of chaos is really fun. At the end of the day, yeah. what I remember from my previous jobs, 
are the times that we actually had to do something chaotic where we need yeah. to deliver something really fast or something broke on production and took us down and we're like sifting through information trying yeah. to figure it out. Yep. Those are the memories that you take as long as it happens rarely. That's the, yep. the main part of yes. the positivity side, I guess, right? And, and, and teams that are on call together tend to be, in my experience, the most tightly bonded you know it's like you're responsible for something together right the ops teams that i've worked on or, or run have been always just way more like we, we joke more we have more camaraderie we have more jokes the ops yeah. channels where all the software engineers come and hang out because it's just so fun right like and and i think it's this whole like band of brothers like effect exactly. where it, in a, in a small way, much less lethal, but like it's, <laughs> it, there's also the, like you've got each other's backs at 2 a.m. I have never heard anyone complain about somebody like, you know, if, they, if your teammate can't figure it out and they call you, like you feel honored. You're like, yeah. yes, of course. Thank you for calling me, you know? Just I think the managers should really acknowledge that it's really a culture building exercise. And yes. first of all, for free, you don't even need to do that much. And you're going to create amazing relationships and yeah. bonds, as you said. But also, that's not always something that's easy to figure out as a manager, what, mm. how, how to generate culture. And if you're in a team that has uh, the on-call functionality, then that's yeah. a, a thing you can, you can think about how that fits in. And a, and a real key to doing that is to make make it so that, you know, I've had I've seen some teams that like you're not supposed to ask for somebody to trade or it's a really big deal. You may have to make sure that it all works out two hours here, two hours there. You know, I think it's so much better when it's more of a gift thing where it's like, of course, I'll please let me take over for you more. You know, like and everybody's not just like nickel and dime each other, but like they're eager to like step in and relieve each other. Yeah. 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 And I think this is also part of this like um bonding together is I've never seen um, someone, for example, in an on-call where there's the escalation point, someone didn't wake up, that anyone is angry about that person yeah. not waking up, right? Like there's a cool you know understanding that about that. themselves like harder exactly. than, yeah. So when it escalates to you, you're taking it and you're saying, that person is probably tired, maybe I even take it for the entire night. Yeah. If that person didn't wake up from all the alarms that I know that that person has, then maybe yeah. I should take that uh, for this night because I can wake up. And tomorrow, maybe I'll ask, maybe I'll take the entire week even. On calls is very visceral like manifestation of, you know, we... We, we all want to work for something that has a mission, right? Yeah. But like when you just, when it's a nine to five job, it's, it's harder to like feel as connected to it, I think. And on call is very, like it's you. It's yeah. up to yep. you. That said, yep. I would say again for managers to take into account that emotional safety is plays a factor here. That someone who felt comfortable before being on call might not always feel that way. That there are other issues that you should maybe also figure out how much you push people or how or talk to about people about how they feel and is it working. Uh, intense emotions can also generate negative culture, not just positive ones. So for it's sure. it's definitely a point that as a manager you have to take into account and consider. It's a tribal bonding ritual, and yeah. and those are some deep dark human emotions to be tinkering with so yeah it can be very us versus them it can turn into like ops versus dev yes. you know so so yes i guess this is more for me where when it's positive then it's relatively easy because when it became relatively a positive thing for for my tribe right now um it actually became easy because a person said look i'm stressing out and i feel like it's already a good a good place for me to leave because we've managed to onboard new people we've managed to reduce a lot of the alarms and I said, yeah, yeah, perfect. You, you could just, you could have left before. Like, um, it's not like you cannot be the person who's taking it on yourself. But when it's a negative situation where you have alarms, I don't know, four times a night or more, um, and you have a rotation team of two to three people, then 
of course it will become negative because it's but it's not negative because of the people it's negative because managers didn't set the tone or set the situation mm-hmm. right for people to be able to say i can't do this anymore because if if one of three people from a rotation says i can't do it anymore because it's killing me then it's like basically you're telling your other two rotation peers or people you are like bonding with in the middle of the night yeah now you're two now you every second week you're going to go to this war so Yes, totally. It's on managers to figure out how to onboard people and to make it a positive situation. So then when everyone can just opt in and out and then, as Charity said, pay for it or give bonuses, uh, make it a voluntary thing. Honestly, that's what we do. It's a voluntary thing. If you want to onboard, there are many good reasons to. We pay for it. We just pay for, for being on call, right? Like no alarms, nothing happened. You get paid. And if something happens, we pay extra, which I think is a really nice thing to do. But also... Um, we have a really nice concept where you onboard to this thing, you can understand infrastructure more. If you're a front-end developer, for example, mm-hmm. it's really nice for your career to actually understand how things work on the infrastructure side. Um, so there are other ways to kind of sell it, but it needs to be something that a person says, yes, I want to do it because I actually see the value of it and not I want to do it because without me, everything would collapse. That's like the the wrong motivation and then how do you actually onboard so someone says they are interested how do you actually onboard someone to this is it pairing is it something else yeah shadowing for sure like so i don't know how you usually do i i'm a big fan of primary secondary where you have like a primary secondary at all times and only the primary gets paged um but the secondary is available is like pinch hitting whatever maybe escalates to them after like 30 minutes or whatever um, and then whoever was secondary is primary the next week. Like this works really well. So we've had a single rotation for both platform and product engineering for a while now. Mm-hmm. So we pair them. So it goes platform, product, platform, product, so that you always have a more systemsy person paired with a more, you know, API like application type person. So they can kind of buddy up. Um, and this works pretty well for training people too. You just have them be like secondary and maybe make it so that they're getting all the alerts, you know, at the same time as someone else for a couple of rotations and then, but they get to give a shot at fixing it, but then the other person is there to like answer questions. And then, and then if you're secondary for one period, would you, and you're onboarding, would you like be secondary for a while? How do you? Yeah. I mean, it depends on like how mature the company is, how complicated, how well documented it is. Like we just drop people in the deep end because, you know, if you have a shell account, everything's pretty like instrumented and it, like it's pretty easy like our system is very well understood um but i've been on teams where you know for the less senior people especially you'd give them a couple of rotations just secondary but like a lot of times they're chomping at the bit because because being on call is the best way to learn how your system actually works right exactly it's been my best onboarding yeah <laughs> Do you, do you document past ones? Are you do you run through them? Is there like um, also like knowledge to like understand if you're doing it for the first time? Well, um, there's a bunch of stuff, right? We do retrospectives for incidents. Um, you know, there's a, like a weekly team meeting where they talk through some stuff, like oh, this is on the horizon. Talk about some architectural stuff, whatever. Uh, like we don't really have many outages, um, so sometimes we'll just pick like an incident and work through it. We don't do a lot of documentation, honestly, because things change so fast at a startup. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that each service you have should have a landing page with an owner. Like it has like 
here's where you go to start debugging. Here are some common types of flavors of things that may happen and yep. where to start looking. Mm -hmm. Here is, you know, someone who knows it well or who last touched it, who can be escalated to if you're really stuck. Here are some useful queries or boards, you know, or whatever. But like documenting at the level of like playbooks and stuff, kind of not really useful in my opinion. Yeah. Most I mean, they also go stale very, very quickly. So I think yeah, it's Yeah, and better... like out of date, bad information can be worse than no information yeah. at yeah. all. I think they're good for um, as a first step to get the second step running. I mean, if you have a situation where you can't onboard people or it's a, you don't have really good observability and, and things are, are tricky and you have a lot of alarms. If, if your systems aren't changing very often, you can document them. Yeah. If they're changing really quickly, then... You know, you really want your teams to be literate in production rather yeah. than have lo lo lots of reference books. Because typically, like, if you're getting, if something is breaking in some way, like, rather than spending that time documenting it, you would just fix it, <laughs> right? You just fix it so it doesn't break in that way. Yeah, I mean, um, I totally agree. I think one of the things that I, I think should be there at least, um, and this is, again, with onboarding, is very sometimes simplistic things that could happen, especially for a growing startup where you, I don't know, you 2x yourself every week is understanding how to scale up the infrastructure. And then you can maybe give the, the people who just want to join the ability to see a reference because it's always basically the same and then be able to react and then kind of say, okay, I've done it myself once now. I feel like I can, I know how to mm -hmm. scale up. We do some things with like new people who join the team where we send them on a couple of like scavenger hunts in the data to yeah. see if this is happening or not in the API, right? And then they have to like go figure out how to like navigate through our instrumentation and stuff to like see whether or not this thing is happening or not. And it gets them to know the tool, it gets them to know the code base, it gets to know them to know like Honeycomb, the instrumentation and stuff. There are a couple of things that we do like that that I really like. They were not my idea, yeah, but they're really cool. I love cool. that as well. That's really cool. Cool. I think we kind of touched the negativity part of it as well, I guess. And, and uh, But if there is a kind of toxic situation that is not, okay, let's not say toxic enough for you to quit, but what are trending downward situation? What are steps we can do to actually improve? Well, a lot of it depends who you are in the org. Like how much informal or formal power do you have? How long have you been there? You know, do people respect you and listen to you or do they not you know and how much do you care how much do you give a shit about this organization because like i have been in jobs where i stayed for a year and a day because i thought i owed it to them and i didn't i should have left you know in no neither of those cases did i give a shit if their mission like succeeded or not you know like there are times when like you know you might really care for the org even though they're really fucked up you know and you might think it's worth some of your lifeblood to see what you can do to put them on a better trajectory and then there are people there you really care for that one's such a trap because this is yeah. the one that people stay at these jobs for eight because they care about the people and they should leave and find a better job and take those people with them because <laughs> because what we're doing what we're doing is we're rewarding these organizations that aren't stepping up aren't improving aren't listening aren't fixing things we're rewarding them with our presence and that means that they don't have to change and they think what they're doing is okay and if we just left they would have to shape up or would they would fail and either way that would be a better outcome than them continuing on this shitty path of just like treating people like shit i completely agree yeah <laughs> totally agree totally agree 
No, I was just wondering if there are still, since, I mean, uh, uh, it sounds from both of you because you've already done quite a lot and you're much happier at where you're at. Are there things currently that you still want to improve? Not because things are bad, because there's like, because I think the more you solve something, the more you see the next bit, the, it's like you, you get to the next step. There's something that's on your mind right now. I guess from, from my, my point of view, there are still many things to, to do. Yeah. <laughs> right now, those many things to do are more about on me, not on the team, because understanding what's like where we're going as a team um, and we are scaling heavily all the time and to find ways to kind of mitigate that and to, to, for me, it's all about communication, honestly. Like if the team knows that, for example, we are forecasting a new, I don't know, growth or hyper growth as we feel all the time, let them know in advance so they can scale the infrastructure up before, instead of like waking up in the middle of the night when a spike happens. I think that's something that right now isn't perfect on on where on my side because it's a really big organization and the business mm -hmm. is really big so i need to have more visibility to that to give my team that's something that i for as a manager need to have to improve on let's quickly again because we talked about on call and i think on call wraps up well um as charity already mentioned when you do a retro retrospective or incident management um so what is it exactly what is this retrospective or incident management at the end of it well Facebook did these weekly like operational review things where they would, you know, do a review of all the SEVs and like they grill the representatives of each team. Like, what did you, what'd you do? Uh, what happened? Um, I don't know. We don't really do that, but we do do retrospectives and it's, you know, like we were asking, what did you see? What did you feel? Like, what were you thinking when, you know, and we, and we try and go back and make our system safer and, and more self-explanatory. And we just use them as almost like architecture discussions to talk through, you know, I firmly believe you can only scale for one order of magnitude at a time, which means when you're growing quickly, you're constantly running into these things like, well, I built that for 10X and we're at 10X, right? So how do we build for the next 10X? We do those you know, weekly-ish. Um, and after big events, but we don't get real, you know, some folks get really structured about this and go real nuts with it. And, you know, there's all the resilience folks who are always lecturing people about what terms to use. And that really bugs me. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that there's a way for, there's a place for process because it, it, it's, it's how you help prevent yourself from repeating your mistakes over and over. But I think it should be pretty lightweight. Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, generally, um, we do the weekly uh, operation review as Facebook uh, does it in our organization, where it's less grilling, it's more about knowledge sharing. So, uh, and also it's a really, really big organization. So we randomly choose... How many devs? How many engineers? Generally a delivery hero, I think, I would say over a thousand if we count all wow. the other... Crazy. Yeah, because it's a central organization. It's the biggest um, food delivery company. Uh, it's not a brand by itself. It just operates other brands. So there are many, many partners in many countries, and we have a lot of people working. Wow. So we randomly choose two, three squads, and we say, hey, if you can talk about one or two incidents you had in the last couple of months, and what did you do to, to mitigate it? How did you fix it? And it's more about the knowledge sharing. So mm -hmm. it's basically to know, okay, they did their due diligence and now they're sharing with us and, and others might actually say, oh, have you maybe thought about this? Or maybe say, oh, actually I have the same problem and I'm taking it with me. So it's more about the knowledge sharing. And I think that's what's important about it. It's not, this incident management shouldn't be like a blameful thing. It's like, hey, why did it break? It's learning sharing. Yeah. 
All right, cool. Do we have any more thoughts on the topic? Anything that comes up? That, that was we a great conversation. That was yeah, a, thank you. There's so much there. It's such a meaty topic. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's actually one of my favorite topics to talk about generally. So, <laughs> you know, one of my proudest moments was when this was a few years ago. This is before the whole software engineers on call thing. Um, so, like the the production engineering team was on call. And uh, one of my proudest moments was when a couple of the software engineers, you know, kind of wistfully asked, could, could we, could we join? <laughs> could we be on call with you guys? It just seems like you learn so much and you have so much fun and you, and you're always like laughing and talking about this stuff. And like, we just, you know, we'd love to learn how to do this. Could we, could we join? And I just went, oh, <laughs> it couldn't be done. It can absolutely be done. Yeah, I think I'm really just looking for inspiration because I'm seeing so many data scientists that are, you know, first hesitant to become engineers and then yeah. double hesitant to become their data ops for their own data products. And yeah. I, I do understand, I have empathy for this double step. It's way further than where you started and what you thought your profession maybe would be. And it yeah. might really not be for everybody. Yeah, but you know what? It's like a supercharged career. It's fucking diesel fuel. Like the juxtaposition of these skill sets, like they will be so in demand. Yeah. And the feedback yes. loop is really gratifying. It's like playing a video game yeah. almost. You get that feedback loop and it's stuff you can fix. And it's stuff you can do and you can see the impact and you can feel it. Like it's really exciting. Yeah. And, and for me, I think the biggest part that I saw when product development started to do on call is you start, we, I, I don't know, maybe I'm, um, generalizing here, but most engineers I know, they like to have a complex problem and you just add another level of it where you actually think of a problem. It's not how to solve it for users and how to solve it to, for the UX side of it and how to solve the backend. It's also kind of thinking about how can I make it sustainable? And if it's important enough to make it sustainable or not, it depends on many factors, but it's actually nice to have another factor to think about, mm -hmm. which I think makes this this process really interesting when you start doing those things. And I saw it myself as well. When I started doing on-call, I started thinking about, wait, what will happen if this thing breaks in the middle of the night? Well, then will I wake up? It kind of adds this level of complexity where you start Danger. kind of also optimizing for yourself, for your mental health, right? So you take responsibility and you're accountable to what you create, which is actually kind of awesome. It can be scary and yeah. lots of people have seen it yeah. done really poorly, to be fair. That's true. That's really yes. true. Yes. Not everybody has good examples. Yeah. Most yes. people, there, there in fact, are more bad most examples. people do not have good examples. Exactly. And then it, you have to Sadly. unlearn much more than you need to learn. <laughs> yeah. Or you don't know how to do it well and you go to another organization and you don't have any, like you've seen it, uh, you've only seen it the way it was. So you're immediately... Oh, I don't want to join it, even if it's good, because I'm, I'm not willing to accept or acknowledge that there is a good thing to it. Yeah, that's that's for teams that are healthy to, to just show. Yeah. <laughs> so, shall we do a quick sum up of of key learnings uh, or points that we discuss and and wrap it up? So, I guess uh, we discuss what on call engineering is and also some uh, how we uh, share some of our experience. Um, and we uh, talked a lot about how we firmly believe that it can be a, a positive thing and something that uh, is really seen more both as a positive cultural impact on your teams as something that people can opt into and should 
it should probably be compensated fairly because you should appreciate that work and commitment. And that if you're in a really negative space, then maybe you should consider where you are rather than consider um, uh, how to how to figure it out yourself. Uh, we talked a lot about how it has really to do with the role you play with it, what level you are, if you're in how to think about it from different perspectives, how much trust there is in the organization, and a little bit about incident management being the retrospective of the process. And again, different versions of how it could be done and how it's viewed and how it's mostly about shared learnings. Anything else I'm missing or you'd like to add? I don't think so. It was a great discussion. Thank you. Thank you so much, Eridi. Thank you very much. And I guess um, to our listeners, thank you for listening. And you can find us on Twitter as techpoint underscore C or LinkedIn. Yeah, and Charity, where can people find you? Yeah. Uh, people can find me. My blog is at charity.wtf or honeycomb.io. Um, we also have a blog there uh, or on Twitter at Nitty Tipsy. <laughs>